Amen. Good morning. Uh, where's Fawn? Is Fawn still in here somewhere? She just left. She just walked out because she knew I was about to have her stand up, right? <laughs> uh, and, and I wasn't going to have all the people stand who volunteered yesterday, but now that Fawn said that, I, I'm not going to make you stand because I, can we just see a show of hands of all of you who have poured time into making that conference happen yesterday? Just a show of hands. And can we thank them again, which includes thanking Fawn for all they did. And for Casey, uh, I've been awake since three. I got my, I'm on medication, so that may be a little bit of this, but I don't think it is. Um, I have seen you for three months. Oh man, just pour yourself into the Word of God. Um. I get to call you my wife. I love you. I'm going to take you out tonight. We're going to have fun. (laughs) You deserve it. I'm going to put you on a cruise ship tomorrow, and you can go (laughs) recover. I love you. And to see you pour yourself into what you did yesterday makes me want to be a better minister and a better person. Thank you. Um, (laughs) For those on live stream right now, they're probably thinking, is he always like this? I want to welcome those who are joining, joining us on live stream, whether you're in your home, in a hotel, in the hospital, maybe even in a car. Uh, and I'm so grateful that all of you are here. Next Sunday, this is a five-part series I'm doing on praise. Next Sunday, I want to talk about praise and honest expression. I want to end this series on praise and worship, talking about sometimes we think, like, I need to work out my doubts so that I can come and worship God. But the way the Psalms teach us is sometimes your doubts and your questions and those honest expressions of life and pain can be some of the best forms of worship you'll ever experience in your life. So I want to do that. And then Casey's going to join me next week in a a focused time of prayer as we ask for the peace of God to come over people in this room and relationships, over stress, over life. So I invite you. Next week would be a great day to bring a friend uh, as we as we take time in our service to ask for the peace of God to come over them. Uh, So let me, some of you may not be sports fans, basketball fans at all, but I've spent a lot of time at FedEx Forum like some of you. I mean, we've, I've attended well over a hundred Grizzly games since I've been here. And there are a few things that happen in every Grizzly game that you go. If if you're there before tip-off, a few minutes before tip-off, there's the national anthem. And everyone's encouraged to stand. And people take different postures with this. Some people, you'll see them salute. Some people try to find where the flag is. Some people may be looking out at the flag on the court. Some people turn around to face a flag that's hanging up or on a screen. And some people put a hand over their heart. Sometimes you'll see players who put a hand over their heart or stand in some kind of posture of, of just respect. And then at some point in a Grizzly game, they honor a veteran. Every game, a male or a female veteran. And they'll be standing out on the court with their family. And, and, they, and they go into a long introduction of who the veteran is. Like what branch of the military they served in, where they have served. And about halfway through the introduction, you can't even hear the announcer anymore because everyone has stood and everyone is clapping and applauding and showing respect and appreciation for whoever that veteran is. And here's the thing about a Grizzly game, too, and you don't have to be a sports fan to know this. Within two minutes of when the game starts, I can tell you who everyone sitting around me is cheering for. Most of them are Grizzly fans. But I can tell you if they're not a Grizzly fan, who they're cheering for. Because the moment the ref makes a call that some people like and some people don't like, you're going to hear about it. 
The moment something happens on offense that you like, you're cheering for it and other people aren't. The moment something that happens for their team that that is worth cheering for, they're cheering and you're not cheering. It just happens this way. And you can also look around and see the people who just do not care. They're at the game with their family. They don't care who wins. They're scrolling Facebook. They're, they're already getting cash out of what kind of snacks they can get the, get the grandkids. And then usually in a Grizzly game, at some point, there's also a kiss cam that comes up. And you can tell when the kiss cam lands on people if they really are together or if they aren't together at all because it can get kind of awkward and they can try to shame you into, into a kiss. And you can see the way some people are interacting. You, can, you may not know if they're married, but you can tell if they're dating by having an arm around someone, by the way they're holding hands, by the way they're sharing nachos. So within just a little while at a Grizzly game, I can tell you who people are cheering for. I can tell you almost why they're there. I can tell you something about the family around them. And this is true about so many places in life, man. We reach down to pick up our kids. We reach up to, to hug our parents or our grandparents when we're young ages. We hold hands with those we love. We, we hug them. We shake hands. We give high fives. We have bodily things we do to almost every relationship in life. So when it comes to worship, what is our display of affection for God that would let other people know about our love for God? Actions speak louder than words in almost every relationship in life except relationship with God in worship. I'm not talking about service and I'm not talking about giving to other people, but actions speak louder than words in almost every relationship in life except when it comes to worship. Now, here's the thing, and I need to say this up front because some of you, you may have known this day was coming and what what I was going to preach on. You've already experienced some things today and you've heard Joe and you've heard Kip. Hey, here's Josh is going to talk today about bodily posture and worship, but some of you are already a little freaking out. And some of you are already thinking, please do not guilt me into becoming a hand raiser or a clapper or a swayer. Because some of you are thinking, my grandparents have been dead for 30 years, but if they knew I ever did that in worship, not only would they haunt me, they would also come and haunt you for encouraging us to do it. In which my response would be, if your grandparents are in the presence of Jesus right now, they are worshiping in a way that they may have never worshiped on the earth. Because Jesus breaks down all those rules that we set up in churches. My goal today is not to make you a worshiper like me. My goal today is not to guilt you into any bodily posture and worship. I do hope to inspire you. I hope to encourage you. I hope to challenge you. Because today needs to be about you understanding you are a lifelong worshiper. So you always need to ask until the day you die, what kind of, what kind of worshiper am I in the process of becoming? And I think it's good for us as a church to also ask, what kind of culture of worship are we developing in this church so that other people come in and know that we have a heart for God? by the way we talk, by the way we act, by the way we worship. So, so to get there, let me, uh, let me begin with this, all right? When it comes to worship, there are three things we bring into worship. Number one is our mind, that we bring our mind. And when I, think, when I talk about mind today, and you're going to see a few different graphics come up with the mind, the mind is a place of knowledge, it's a place of wisdom, it's a place of truth. And these are things that need to be growing in us. This morning, some of you have already connected to God with your mind. We are thinking thoughts of God. So throughout the Bible, one place I kept coming to this week is in Romans 12, verse 1. It talks about what it means to offer yourself as a, as a uh, this is your spiritual act of worship. But the very next verse in Romans 12, verse 2 is don't conform the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5 is a place I've prayed over this church almost more than anywhere else in the Bible, especially when it comes to worship. And especially how we deal with our thoughts and how we take captive every thought and we make them obedient to Jesus. Philippians 4.8 uses this phrase about you need to think about such things, which you find this phrase all over the Psalms about thinking about God. On my bed, I'm thinking about you through the watches of the night, meditating on the Lord. So we connect and we worship God with our mind. We also worship God with our heart. So with mind, I want you to think about knowledge, about wisdom, about truth. And with the heart, I want you to think about passion, conviction, allegiance. Sometimes this may mean emotion, but I want you to think about that place that like brings you to life. Now, for most of us in churches of Christ, or if you grew up a Southern Baptist or a Presbyterian, we were deeply formed over the last 200 years by the mind, by, by movements that began with thought and, and argument and persuasion. The last 20 to 30 years, if you're interested at all in like Christian literature and you've been in bookstores, a lot of it is appealing to the heart about passion, the intimacy with God and personal relationship with God. So, so these places are all over the Psalms about the heart. If you go to that next slide and, and you have in the New Testament, it talks about the heart. Deuteronomy 6.5, what Casey talked about yesterday at the girls conference, love the Lord your God with all your heart. And Psalm 9.1, it talks about, I will give thanks to you, Lord, with all my heart. Psalm 51.10, it's a form of worship of confession and repentance is creating in me a pure heart. Psalm 138, 10, I will praise you with all my heart. It's this realization that in praise, we're serving a God who went all in for us and God's asking us to go all in for God. So you bring to worship your mind and you bring to worship your heart and you bring to worship your body. In Psalm 35, 10, here's what it says, that my bones or my limbs are crying out to God, oh Lord, who's like you? Like think about it, like my bones, my limbs, my arms, my legs, my feet, my head, my body is like crying out like, God, there's no one like you in all the earth. So here's kind of my journey. If you've been at this church very long, you know that in worship, I'm up here on the front pew and this is my place and, and, and I'm fairly expressive in worship. My goal today is not to make you like me, it's trying to make you a, a more faithful worshiper to God. So I don't need you to be like me, but here's the journey I was on in my life. All of my church experiences as a child, I was never in a church that, uh, that encouraged or allowed any kind of expression in worship. My dad became a preacher when I was eight. We were at a church in East Texas for five years. It's a church that taught us a lot about the gospel and about grace and what it meant to be a church family, a church that deeply formed who I am. But it was a church where there was no movement, like swaying in church could get you in trouble. But I remember I was probably age of 12. I was serving communion one Sunday morning. And there was a guy, he hadn't been in our church very long. And this guy came and he was, he was a new believer and he was serving communion with me. And this was back in the days that some of you grew up in churches. That the men who were serving communion would sit up on the front pew to serve communion. So there were four of us up on the front pew. It was me and this man who was a new believer up on one side and two men on the other side. And we were, we were singing songs in church. And it was the first time in my life I had ever seen someone lift a hand in worship. And this guy raised He was sitting down. We weren't even standing up. And he raised a hand in worship. And I remember looking at him as this 12-year-old thinking, I've never seen this before in my life. And my first thought was, is he asking a question? Because if I knew you could ask questions in worship, I would have been doing this my whole life. 
My dad's the preacher. There are a lot of questions I had about, about what my dad was saying and what he was doing. And I, I had never witnessed it. And I remember I went home that day. I was about 12. I sat down with my mom and dad immediately after church. And the way they responded to me probably formed me in ways I could not even articulate at the time. Because I said, Dad, did you see that guy sitting next to me? What was he doing? And my parents could have shared with me. Because they were in a time in their life for them, even in their minds and in their hearts. Like you, there are certain ways you worship and there are some things you do when you don't worship. But what they told me was... Josh, if you knew what that man had been through over the last few years and, the God, and what God had delivered him from, you would know that for him, that kind of expression of freedom is the right, like, like, that's what he has to offer up to God in worship. That's who he is. God is setting free. And that's how my parents chose to teach me in that moment. It probably formed me in ways I couldn't even express at the time. I moved to Dallas. I was at a church in Dallas from where my dad preached throughout the rest of middle school and high school. And it was a church where there was not much expression at all. But what happened in the life of that church is that there were a few dozen people, adults, who started going to the Tulsa workshop every year, every spring. And at the Tulsa workshop was Jerome Williams and Free Indeed, which may mean a name. Some of you may know that name and some of you don't, but it was a praise and worship group that formed a lot of us in Churches of Christ. And they came back from the Tulsa workshop having experienced the form of freedom in worship. They, they started bringing into our worship service where every once in a while you would hear someone clap or you would see someone raise a hand and, and it started freaking people out because they didn't know what to do with it. So the elders met and the elders made some rules about worship. They stood up and the elders said, one Sunday, they said, we've chosen that we're going to allow people to raise hands in worship, but they can't now go higher than the neck. So this is where it had to stop. <clears throat> and I remember being a time in my life where I just, I was noticing some inconsistencies in, in the way we would worship that any time, and most of you, wherever church you grew up in, you, would, you, you know this is true in your experience too. Anytime we sang a song about standing, you stood. Standing on the promises, on the Christ, the solid rock I stand, onward Christian soldiers. Like there were a few songs where the song leader would say, we cannot sing this song sitting down. You got to stand up. And even the, what some of us growing up in the night, a newer song, like I stand in awe, which you could start that song sitting down. But when you get to the part where you stand up, everyone stands up and it, it makes a powerful moment. And I just started thinking, why when we sing songs about standing up, do we have to stand? But when we sing songs about bowing and kneeling and shouting and clapping, nothing changes. And toward the end of high school, God had been working in my life. There was a movement of revival happening at our large public school east of Dallas. And me and some friends were on fire for God, and we were seeing God do some miraculous things. Guys on the football team, people throughout our school, people were coming to Jesus every single week. We were baptizing so many folks, and then we started having worship services with these high schoolers, and, and, and we would get together before school, sometimes during school, just the movement of God, and we would worship together. And I knew what God was delivering some of my friends from, sex addiction and alcoholism and drug addiction and pride. And when we would come together to worship, worship. 
man, we were pouring all of our hearts into it. So then some of these people started going to church with me. And in youth group, we would worship a certain way. And then we were told, when you come into church, you can't do that anymore because it's going to offend people. It's going to upset some folks. You can't do that. I remember going on youth rally trips where we would pull up in our church bus to youth rallies where there were more conservative churches. And the leader of the youth rally would come on our bus before they let our youth group off the bus. And they would say, hey, you're about to come into a place where people aren't very expressive in worship. So we're just asking you as a youth group today, don't clap, don't raise hands, don't dance or sway. Just please, we do not want to offend anyone. I went to college. I ended up preaching at a church. It was a church split. And one of the reasons that church split was because people swayed during the songs. And I think we all know, swaying leads to hands raising, which leads to holding snakes. That's just the progression. (laughs) It's just what happens, right? But then I started reading stuff in the Bible. And I started coming across, I was like, what do we do with things like, 1 Corinthians 14.40 became the anthem that we put everything under in our churches. And most of you know this to be true. How many times have you heard in your churches, like, we do everything decently in order, fitting it in an orderly way. And this become like the umbrella that held everything that would happen in worship services. We don't do that because we don't want to offend people. We do it orderly, fittingly. So I grew up going to a church camp where we couldn't celebrate after baptisms because we were going to, celebrate, we were going to honor baptisms with reverence and all before God. But then I started coming in contact with all these other places as you read the Bible where there's bowing and like in Psalm 5, 7, but I, by your great love, I come into your house, I come into your temple, the sanctuary and reverence, I bow down to your holy temple. And Psalm 95, 6, come let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our God. Daniel chapter 6, verse 11, three times a day, Daniel got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. And I could go on with a lot of other places of bowing and kneeling, not just in the Old Testament, in the New Testament too, when people come into the presence of Jesus, and in Revelation, where you have people worshiping God around his throne, the clapping in Psalm 47, 1, clap your hands. It's not a suggestion if you want to. It's like, hey, God's done great things for us. We, we clap and we, we shout to praise. Shout praise. Psalm 98, 8, let the floods clap their hands. Let the hills sing together for joy. And then you have these places of lifting hands, like in Psalm 28, 2. Hear the voice of my supplication as I cry to you for help, as I lift up my hands towards your most holy sanctuary. In Psalm 63, 4, so I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands and I will call on your name. In Psalm 141, 2, let my prayer be counted as incense before you and the lifting of my hands as an evening sacrifice. And just to go New Testament on you too, in 1 Timothy 2, 8, I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting up holy hands. In Nehemiah chapter 8, it's one of my favorite worship scenes in all the Bible. In verse 6, it's Ezra, bless the Lord and, and the great God. And all the people answered, thousands of them answered, amen, amen, lifting up their hands. And then they bowed their heads and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. In the Psalms, when you see people encounter the greatness of Jesus, in the book of Revelation, the body, the physical body is a tool for praising God. One author says this, our entire being is fashioned as an instrument of praise. And when we use body language to express praise, that which is internal becomes visible. 
Have you ever seen, have you ever seen Orthodox Jews? You ever been on a plane with Orthodox Jews? Where they often pray hours of the day? And they'll unbuckle their seatbelt and they'll face a certain direction, even on a plane, and they'll begin to pray. And as Orthodox Jews pray, they sway their bodies, and I never knew why. And I went to Israel and was able to encounter some Jews. And even at the Wailing Wall, they would walk up to the wall, which has been standing for over a thousand years. And as they would pray up against the wall, they would sway. And, and even a couple of people would take three steps back. And then they would take three steps toward the wall and they would sway. And part of what Jews believe and what they've been taught for thousands of years is that when you are reciting with your mouth words of Torah or words of prayer to God, there is something that is, a light is kindled within your soul and you sway like the flame of a candle as your soul is coming to life in God. They walk sometimes when they pray three steps back and three steps forward as the way to pray of I am moving with God, I am walking with God. So for a few years, I've started ending a lot of my sermons where I ask people to stand and I ask you to open your hands while we pray. And a few of you have commented to me and you haven't been mean-spirited about it. Sometimes it's just how we grow. A few of you have said, man, it makes you really uncomfortable. when You, you haven't asked me to stop doing it. You've just said, it makes me really uncomfortable. And then some of you have said, it's the first time I've ever had a church leader invite my body to take a posture before God. And that's something I've taken into my private life with God too. I'm just curious, how many of you in here, churches of Christ is all you've ever known? I mean, maybe you've attended another church, but like church of Christ is like, that's your place, right? Like born and raised, member of the church, like that's who you are. It's all I've ever known. And I continue to make choices to stay in this movement. I, I, I love our movement. I, I don't think God's through with Churches of Christ yet. And I'm grateful for your loyalty and for being a, a vibrant, loyal part of this church. I'm curious, how many of you in here have experiences outside of Churches of Christ, other faith traditions, but you're here at Sycamore View now? How many of you have experiences outside of Churches of Christ? I am so glad you're here because... Our goal is not to try to disciple you to become a faithful Church of Christ person. Is that we're on a journey to become followers of Jesus. And, and you teach us a lot in worship and in life of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So, sometimes here's what happens. You have your mind that connects with God in worship. You have your heart that connects to God in worship. You have your body that connects to God in worship. And sometimes what happens is, if you keep going, go to that next slide. Sometimes what happens is it's possible in worship for your heart and your body to work together, but where your mind is not really connecting to God in worship. Of course, there are things you're thinking. But the heart, if that's the place of conviction and passion, and the body is a place of expression, the Christian music industry over the last 20 years, has really appealed to the heart and the body coming together. I don't know if you've been to a worship service like a, uh, a Passion event, Hillsong, Bethel, some of these uh, catalysts. This is what it looks like when you go. You're, you're there with thousands of people, 10, 15, 20,000 people in an arena. And there are moments when hands are raised and people are shouting and there's all kinds of expression. And a lot of them, like Catalyst and Passion, are younger people. But a lot of concerts where you go, it's not just younger people. It's intergenerational. We were at the FedEx Forum not too long ago for a worship service. There was elevation or a... Um, 
Yeah, elevation worship, there was Hillsong, and then there was Casting Crowns. And Casey and me and the boys were sitting behind an older group of people, older, frail. Some of them were walking in on canes or, and, and walkers, finding their seat. And during Elevation and Hillsong, which kind of appealed to a younger crowd, they, they were there and there were moments their hands would come up a little bit and they were enjoying it, but they were there for Casting Crowns. And Casting Crowns came out and they start singing songs about, I will praise you in this storm. And these older people with their frail hands, Casey and I just teared up, just up there watching them, with these frail hands just lifting them up to God in praise. I'll praise you in the storm. And just to think about how many storms some of them have been through in their life. Now, the thing, if you go to the next slide, the thing with the heart and the body coming together in worship, but where we're not worshiping God with our mind, when we're not like really desiring for knowledge and wisdom and truth and that kind of conviction, what happens is, and I don't mean this to come out the wrong way, but what this becomes is you can listen to Kayla for hours every day and every, every week, but you haven't read your Bible in two months. Where worshiping God is the way you connect to God and you do that with the passion of your heart and with the passion of your body and you're dancing before the Lord in your home and maybe even in your car when you're driving, but you're not, you're not worshiping God trying to exercise and grow your mind. Now it's also possible for the mind and the body to come together and worship, but kind of leave out the heart. And I envision like um, Jesus is the teacher where our mind is growing in knowledge and in wisdom and we want something to stretch us and our body is there as we're actively listening and we're attentive and we're taking notes and their head nods and maybe their movements of the body like this because you're thinking deeply about what's being said but the heart may be removed. And it's possible in worship for your mind and your heart to come together and to work but to leave the body out. And Do you know what we call this? Let's say it on the count of three. One, two, three. Churches of Christ. All right. Did we all get that together? <clears throat> Where you want your mind to grow in knowledge and the heart, man, you want to be passionate about God, but there's really no place for the body. Because <clears throat> a lot of us grew up in churches where the teaching about the body is that flesh is bad, and then when you die, your body's burning, you're given a heavenly body. Which I believe when Jesus comes back, he's going to redeem our bodies as they are now. And they will be perfect and nothing can ever mess with the mind or with the heart. And some of us grew up in churches where we spiritualized everything. So the way people would explain bowing and kneeling is it's not really asking for your body to go before the Lord. It's that your heart is humbled before God. It's that your heart is with God in the right place. But I think the kind of worshiper that the Bible is trying to create and the kind of culture is where the mind, the heart, and the body all come together in one. Where they're working together in concert to worship God. I, um, <clears throat> I've told you before, I've gone up to the place, it's a prayer meeting in Brooklyn, it's called the Brooklyn Tabernacle. It's a church of 12, 15,000 people, and every Tuesday night for over 40 years, they have a, a prayer event where thousands of people, every time I've been over the last 12 years, you can't find a seat in the house. It's packed, and people come on Tuesday nights from about 5 o'clock until 9 o'clock just to pray. It's, it's outstanding. It's not Church of Christ. And you gather in this room of a few thousand people. It's an old theater in Brooklyn, and I went there this past September, 
And I've been able to, to kind of bump into the senior pastor at a few events of this church. And I reached out to him before I went. And I said, man, I'm coming up. And I have three other preacher buddies coming with me. Can, could, do you have any time that day? So he agreed to meet with us. So we sat down for about an hour before this prayer meeting. And we talked about prayer. And one thing I wanted to know is that in a church where you guys are crying out to God for all kind of miracles and for God to do great things. What do you do with unanswered prayer? So we had this wonderful conversation about theology and prayer. And then he said, as we were leaving, he said, man, uh, I'll, meet with, I'll meet up with you after because I think we want to pray over the four of you as you lead your churches wherever you are. I just didn't know it was about to happen in that worship assembly. So at the end of almost two hours of worship, they invited the four of us to the front. There's steps up at the front of the Brooklyn Tabernacle. So you can't like say no if somebody invites you to the front in front of a few thousand people. So we went and there we are standing up. And, and then he invited the prayer leaders and the elders of the church to come and surround us. And then he just said like, church, you know what to do right now. And all you could hear is a few thousand people starting to move towards you, which would freak some of you out. And we're standing there, and here's this church that just surrounds us. And he said, church, we need to pray because how we pray right now may not just make a difference in the life of these four ministers, but it may be the fire of God that needs to breathe in them and through them, but also for their churches. So just like that, the church started praying, and it's crazy when you pray in a place like that because it's not like a person on the mic praying and everyone else occasionally says amen. It's that thousands of people are crying out to God at the same time. All you can hear are voices of men and women being lifted up to God. And there were moments when they were praying for our minds to connect to God, for our hearts to connect to God, our bodies to connect to God, just all we are to surrender to God. It's a beautiful, amazing moment. Mind, heart, body coming together, expressing praise. Three things I want to leave you with and three questions, and it's this. Number one is permission. I just, I, I, even if there's just like three or five people in here that need a church leader to stay on this stage and give you permission, this is a place where if you feel the need to clap in church, you can clap. And you will probably clap better than people who like to clap in this church. Some of you, the way you clap, I mean, it's a, it's, it's a sin before God, all right? But it's okay. <clears throat> if you feel the need to lift hands, you can. If you feel the need to bow, you can. And I wish I could tell you that there's no one around you who would judge. But sometimes we're just human is what we do. But you can accuse me for being demonstrative in worship. But I don't want you to ever accuse me of giving all I have before God in worship. You can accuse somebody of being emotional. But hey, if anybody wants to accuse you of being judgmental, it's not on you it's on them. This is a place where however you feel the need to express yourself before God, we celebrate it, we affirm it, we invite it. If in a worship service you felt the need, because some of you grew up in churches where steps were a big deal. This was a place where you came and you would kneel before God to repent or confess or ask for, for the power of God to come upon you in some way. That's okay. Some of you may just need encouragement. And the encouragement I want to give everyone, permission today may just be for a few. Encouragement needs to be for everyone. You need to be encouraged that you will never become a perfect worshiper. You are in the process of becoming a worshiper of God. And I want to encourage you to take that seriously, what it means for your heart, your mind, and your body. And the third is that evangelism is sometimes on the line when we worship. 
I remember Randy Harris asking me and Casey, we were in a class back in college. It was called Christian worship. I remember him asking, Casey reminded me of this the other day. And one day Randy said, is, who's worship for? And of course, worship's for God. He said, is worship for the believer or the unbeliever? However you want to answer that, most of us have grown up in churches where when we come to worship, we're not bringing a lot of people with us to worship. So we're here among mainly believers. But if an unbeliever, a lost person, someone disconnected from Jesus, came in here just by seeing the expressions of faces or our bodies, would they, would they know that, that something is happening? There's a worship minister in Fort Worth who was talking about how there's a season of the year where there are a lot of, of migrants, a lot of Hispanic folks who come into their community with vegetables in their trucks and they're parked on the side of the road, and you go and you buy all this fresh produce. And he said it just convicted him one day that he drives by these people every day, but he's never invited them to the church. So he went one day, and he tried to have a conversation, but they didn't speak English, and he didn't speak Spanish. So he started trying to make like all these like hand signals about the church, like I want to invite you to church. So he finally got out a piece of paper, and he drew a church, and he drew directions to the church and gave it to them, and then left thinking there's no way they will ever come. The next Sunday, three of them show up in the lobby. So he found the only woman in the church, and she was an older woman, a woman in her 70s or 80s, who could speak Spanish. So he said, will you, just, will you sit with them there in church, and will you help them know like, what the songs, like what, what the lyrics are that we're singing, and just help them understand. <clears throat> so she sat with them with the, with the commitment that she was going to help them understand the service. And as the service began, the worship minister said he opened his eyes and he looked down and the woman wasn't translating anything. And it made him mad. But what she was doing, she was giving to God everything she had in worship. Her hands were raised. There was joy on her face. And she was just laying it out there before God. At the end of the worship service, one of the three was in tears, one of these three guys. And they began talking to him like, what is wrong? And he said, I, there's something in that woman right there that I need. And if there's a God that someone is willing to worship like that, I want to follow that God. So here's what I want to do for you today. I want to invite you publicly. And I want to challenge you privately. I want to invite you publicly, challenge you privately. I want to invite you publicly to be on a journey of becoming the kind of worshiper God wants you to be. And that may mean you begin expressing yourselves in other ways, and it may not. Just don't be afraid to ask yourself what God made one of you. I want to challenge you privately before God where you are that you will try to implement some practices of opening your hands before God. In prayer, and maybe not just for one day, but commit this week. I'm gonna have five minutes every day where I'm gonna open my hands before God and just see what God will do. I wanna invite you publicly, challenge you privately, and here are three questions I wanna leave you with, and it's this. Too often, the question we ask in worship is what makes me feel comfortable? We do not comfort people into the kingdom of God. And maybe the prayer you've never prayed in your life is this God, how do you wanna be worshiped? God, how do you want to be worshipped? It's not like, how do I want to worship God? But God, how do you want to be worshipped? And I wonder if we ask that, if God's response would be, I thought you would never ask. 
And now let's see throughout the Bible how it is God may want to be worshipped. Number two is this. Does my prayer life suffer? Does my worship life suffer? Because I fail to include either the mind, the heart, or the body. So I'm not asking you to go just take the body seriously. But even in conversations with the life group today, what does it mean to bring your mind, your heart, and your body into worship? And the third question is this. How does my body display devotion to Jesus? Whether it's publicly or privately. How does your body display devotion for Jesus? And I just want to end today with God inviting you into deeper places with God, whatever that may look like. So where elders and prayer leaders go and surround this room to receive people for prayer today. And if there's anything you need, we have people around the back to receive you. We have elders in the front. And we're going to stand up and we're going to sing this song. It's become one of my favorite songs. And we purposely chose that we're not singing a song right now. And I'm not saying, hey, in this song, here's how you need to worship God. In this song, may our hearts just mean the words that we're singing before God. And let's stand together and let's sing.